This is made possible by Dustin Campbell, Daily Tech News Show, Andy Beach, Nick Wood, and Craig. When is it? October 14th, 2022. That's, that, that, that is not a real date because it is debate night in Georgia. And I am joining you currently from the corner of Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard and Bay Street, literally sandwiched between a Raphael Warnock bus that has been transporting the candidate around the state and the Herschel Walker bus. They are caddy corner parked. Uh, and I am standing literally betwixt them as I speak to you, having just touched down in Savannah, Georgia. In this episode of the podcast, we are going to discuss both candidates. We're going to discuss uh, uh, Raphael Warnock and his strategy to take the high road largely in this race. Not a whole lot of direct attacks on somebody that's got a lot of mud around him. A question, will that be the new model of how to not inflame the culture wars and win in delicate circumstances like Georgia? Or after Election Day, are we going to be saying maybe you should have bared some teeth? And then on the Herschel side, obviously a gigantic megaton explosion of scandal on him. But why do I feel like he's not gone yet? Why do I feel like when you go onto his campaign manager's Twitter, they keep talking about all the record fundraising days they've had in a row? Why does he seem more confident on the stump? Is this the Trump playbook being executed by somebody who's well-versed in knowing how to operate out of playbooks? We will talk about that. By the way, scandal, uh, according to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, possibly visiting Warnock. We don't know whether this is going to come into play during the debate, but an IRS complaint allegedly has been made against the Ebenezer Baptist Church where Reverend Warnock gets his reverend practicing in. Also on this program, we turn our eyes westward as the next time I am on the road, I will be in Las Vegas. And we uh, take a look at the Las Vegas economy and specifically the idea of how well Vegas has bounced back from COVID. Our old friend Matt Donnelly joins us and breaks all of that down, including there were some really, really good bits in there about some of the normal ways that the culinary union tends to boost Democrats. And the fact that that enthusiasm is not quite what it has been in the past. There's a lot of tea leaves in this episode. And I, I got to say, I don't want to get over my skis. I don't know if I'm going to make predictions or projections, but they're not great for Democrats. If you want an episode that spells out exactly how great and rosy things are for Democrats right now, this might not be the one. That's all coming up. But first. Oh, yes, as we prepare for this big debate, let's take a look at the campaign that has not received as much coverage. And that is the campaign of the sitting U.S. Senator from the state of Georgia, Reverend Raphael Warnock. Now, from the beginning of our coverage of Warnock's campaign, we have noted his near comical absence of certain names. Names like Democrat, Joe Biden, or Stacey Abrams. That's because Raphael Warnock wants you to know as a Georgia voter that he is just a pleasant, 
bipartisan man with a very charming smile who would like to continue the work he started as a senator. And in the time that he's been in the Senate, he has proven that he can get things done across the aisle. That's why we don't need to mention any of these pesky other names. Uh, what, what is a Democrat again? You know, Joe Biden, I, you know, look, I'm just so busy. I haven't been able to talk to Joe Biden. I haven't been able to, you know, Stacy keeps calling me. I'll get back to her just as soon as I take a breather from working hard for you. The, the, the fine folks at in Georgia. That's me. I'm Raphael Warnock. That is, of course, represented in this campaign ad, which came out in June. If the race between me and my opponent were out here, I could understand why you might choose him. If it were here, of course. But this campaign is about who's ready to represent Georgia. And when it comes to that, I'm proud to be leading the fight to cap the cost of insulin, to make sure our military has safe housing, and to stop the big banks from ripping off consumers. I'm Raphael Warnock, and I'm running for Georgia. That's why I approve this message. And it should come as little surprise that Reverend Warnock hasn't really changed course. He's continually focused on himself as a competent steward that has transcended party, even as his opponent continues to get stuck in the mud with scandals. This is an ad that is airing right now in Georgia. And to give you a sense of the visuals, everybody in this ad is wearing either a jersey or a T-shirt that is emblazoned with the logo of the University of Georgia Bulldogs. This is, for those of you not inclined in, in the sports realm, a bit of an ascendant and powerhouse team in the Southeastern Conference of College Football, long the premier conference in such competition. Indeed, the Bulldogs finally did what they had not done recently and won championships. So somebody like Herschel Walker in an ascendantly important program obviously means something to Georgians, Warnock steers into the skid here. Listen to this ad. I always thought Herschel Walker looked perfect up there. I think he looks good here. I think he looks great there. But Herschel Walker in the U.S. Senate? We already have someone working for Georgia. It's Raphael Warnock who led the fight to cap the cost of insulin. Worked with Republicans to improve our roads and bridges. Pushed the president to relieve student loan debt. I'm going to keep Herschel up there and keep Raphael Warnock in the Senate. I'm Raphael Warnock and I approve this message. And my Mind you, this came out after the scandal. Half the ad is acknowledging how beloved Herschel Walker is. Sure, he's Paul Bunyan, but we already have a senator that does just fine. And even when the Warnock campaign is attacking Walker on character, it has yet to come directly from the mouth of Warnock. Nor is it even particularly spicy. Here's another ad that has recently come out. This one featuring Georgia Republicans who cannot bring themselves to vote for Walker. I'm a lifelong Republican. I'm an independent. I usually vote Republican. But there is no way that I can vote for Herschel Walker. The lies, the bizarre statements, I, I just don't get it. His history of violence that he won't answer questions for. If he can't be honest with me, I can't vote for him. I vote for the person, not the party. So I'm voting for Raphael Warnock. He has the best interest of Georgia in mind. He listens. Warnock's honest. This time, I'm voting for Raphael Warnock. I'm Raphael Warnock, and I approve this message. For listeners of this show, in the grand pantheon of negative political ads, this is about as gentle as it goes. Everybody in this ad is saying, well, but for. Well, but for. Of course, I agree with Herschel Walker, but he's got a bridge too far, whether it's his personal past or one particular policy issue. Also, I admire Raphael Warnock. Now, certainly, this ad is targeted to Brian Kemp ticket splitters. 
In fact, it might as well say, I'm voting Kemp for governor, but I'm also voting Raphael Warnock. He can't say that because Stacey Abrams is running and blah, blah, blah. But that might as well be what it is saying. And in that, it doesn't want to get in the mud. Raphael Warnock has kept his suits as clean as he would wear it to church on Sunday. But let's go ahead and play around with time travel in the multiverse, shall we? If we move forward in time and go to the universe where Warnock wins this race, may well be this one, he will be hailed as keeping a very disciplined campaign, and indeed, a model for how a Democrat can win in difficult situations. Do not inflame the culture war. Keep the persecution complex of Republicans to a minimum and give those persuadable, very comfortable clothespins so they can hold their nose and vote blue. Applause, applause, applause. Raphael Warnock gets six years in the Senate. However, that might be the alternate universe. The universe that we're in right now might be the one where Warnock doesn't win. And if that is the case, then I can guarantee you that he will be criticized for not going harder on Herschel Walker. For not pointing out that he's a political neophyte with a dark past and hammering that over and over and over and over again, crafting a message designed to exploit the obvious ample foibles that Walker has. Because by the way, the same kindness Warnock is showing has not been revisited upon him. Listen to this ad supporting Walker. There's a guy running for Senate who pretends to be a man, but the mother of his own children says he fails to provide for them. This guy has no problem with aborting babies who are inconvenient. And the worst part, this guy claims to be a Christian. His name, Reverend Raphael Warnock. By the way, not that I think it was revolutionary rocket science, but somebody told you a week ago that it would be political malpractice for the Walker campaign not to go negative at this point. But let's reset. The polls right now are rosy for Warnock. And I I don't know. I mean, and look, I'm recording this segment in Austin. I, I am at the time that I published this in Savannah, Georgia, and I really hope to get more of a sense of this race. But y'all know I'm a super big vibes guy. And right now I find them to be unsettling for Wardnock. It's not that anything I see right now is bad, but just like the horror movie where you walk in on the perfect family and everybody is smiling, it just seems off. And I think I've put my finger on why. Walker's campaign should have been dead by now. And it isn't. And we still have a very, very, very closely watched debate about to happen. We are going to flip the script and take a look at the Walker campaign. But first... Let me please, please, please salute the fact, salute the fact that it is up to you guys, up to you guys to support this show, to recommend it to your friends and family, up to you guys to leave reviews on this program wherever you get your podcast, and most specifically, up to you to spend your hard-earned cash, especially in these times. On this program at TakePoliticsSeriously.com. You believe it's worthwhile to go out there and get a sense of what these places are. Get a sense of how these campaigns are operating. And I, right now, I awoke early in the morn. I got my ass on a plane. I connected in Dallas and I landed in Savannah, Georgia. 
got into my hotel room, which was way more expensive because I booked too late and all the media has descended upon Savannah. So there was not a whole lot of options, but I'm still a block away from the debate. And I am going to make sure that I get for you everything that I can gather from that location. I know I say it almost every episode and I'm going to keep saying it every episode, but nobody does this. Nobody does this but us. Nobody takes the money from the political show, which, by the way, I could probably stay home. I think a lot of people would like it. It'd be fine. But you guys know better. You guys know it matters. You guys know it informs the positions that I am able to give to you. Remember back to that Glenn Youngkin race. That McCall of Glenn Youngkin race. I knew after seeing two rallies that something was going on. Something was going on despite those state polls. Is that the same case here? Is that what I'm going to find out when I go uh, out into these bars? Find those campaigns? See what they're talking about? Talk to other reporters? I don't know. But there's only one way that we can find out. Your support. TakePoliticsSeriously.com And by the way, if you are at the $3 level or above, you are going to get my first, my first reaction to that debate. We're moving the Thursday late edition into Friday so I can give it to you guys, the patrons, first. TakePoliticsSeriously.com Of the polls taken since the latest Daily Beast story, which revealed that Herschel Walker urged a girlfriend and eventual mother of his child to have an abortion, that he paid for said abortion, that he sent her a signed get well card, which had a steaming cup of tea on it, as well as all of the other reporting that corroborated it from the New York Times and other outlets in those polls since Those stories dropped. We have the following. Insider Advantage plus three Warnock. The Hill plus two Warnock. Quinnipiac plus seven Warnock. Atlanta Journal-Constitution plus three Warnock. And Trafalgar plus one Warnock. Friends, outside of Quinnipiac, that means that every single one of these after that story dropped is within the margin of error. That is enough to put Warnock up 3.3 percentage points in the real clear politics average, still around the margin of error. And only in the Quinnipiac poll is Warnock above the threshold to clear a runoff. Reminder that in Georgia, you got to be over 50% to win on election night. But still, Warnock looks to be in good standing. This looks somewhat like the polling position that he was in against Kelly Loeffler before all hell broke loose with Trump and the certification and refusing to concede and blah, 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 blah. And like I mentioned before, I just feel something off about this race. And it may well be PTSD from Trump or how unpredictably the MAGA candidates are in general, Or how poorly they poll and then how enthusiastic their core turnout can be. But I do think that it's Trump in specific. Yes. Yes, I'm going to make something that isn't related to Trump all about Trump. I'm a real political media boy now. Trump is not the first politician to wear scandals as a badge of honor, but he has certainly redefined it for the modern era. The formula tends to go like this. There's a massive story. Let's say Megyn Kelly, the sexual assault, Stormy Daniels, tax returns, impeachment number one, asshole countries, impeachment number two, or the recent FBI raid. Trump points at all the noise surrounding him and says, see, this is how you know I'm right. Look at what they're sending after me. This, of course, weaponizes the lack of trust that the GOP electorate has in institutions and proves to his base that he's strong enough to handle it instead of groveling at the feet of a media that clearly hates him. Now, there are a lot of generalizations in what I just said. Not all of those stories are the same. Unsourced who farted and where stories like the asshole countries debacle are deliberately mixed in with the more serious charges 
but the general lack of actual movement on those makes them seem to be a bit drummed up. And this can become a serious momentum driver for Trump, that there is something that these allegations, all of these allegations that don't quite add up. They are being overhyped at best or are out and out false at worst. But with no neutral arbiter viewed as middle of the road enough to sort through it, the tie goes to the runner. In this case, that means the one running for office. So let's get back to Walker. Walker has had two sitting U.S. senators on the trail this week for him. His campaign manager is on Twitter saying that the fundraising for his campaign has never been better. Does that mean anything? Maybe. What is clear is that Walker is running from the Trump playbook. Use the bad news as an invitation to talk about the larger issue that most Republican voters are sympathetic to. That the media is attacking Republicans again. But even if Herschel is known for yards after the contact in his former career as a running back, does that mean he can verbally joust with an eloquent speaker such as Warnock in tonight's debate? And maybe all of this is is, is just me looking at uh, shadows and thinking that there's something more. Just not wanting to be caught unawares like so many of us were with Trump. Maybe Walker just simply is too toxic for Georgia. After all, if he was salvageable, then he'd probably be campaigning with Governor Brian Kemp, who is currently in the process of smoking Stacey Abrams again. And this time, it's likely going to be by a margin that even she can't deny. We're going to get one big piece of the puzzle tonight. We are going to see how confident Herschel Walker is on that stage. We are going to see whether or not Raphael Warnock will puncture that armor. We're going to see if either of them make gaffes. And then. In the first Tuesday of November, we are going to get our final answer. Is this exactly what it looks like? Or another example of how that is quite simply fool's gold. All right, let's turn our eyes westward, shall we? Indeed, the next time that this podcast is on the road, it is going to be in the silver state of Nevada, specifically Sin City, Las Vegas, because Clark County, the seat of power in that state, will be where I believe the Senate will be decided. Adam Laxalt, Catherine Cortez Masto going head to head. But there's something that When I say it, I I feel like people don't quite understand what I mean by it because I am not a local. And so I have brought in a man who, when I need to know about the hot goss in Vegas, he is among the top people that I talk to. That's because everybody knows about the hot goss in Vegas. It really is a small town. And this man has been a part of most of it. Not only a podcaster with his ice cream social show, but also a veteran performer. He is the one, the only, Matt Donnelly. Welcome to the show, Matt. A pleasure to have me here, uh, Justin. A pleasure for me to for me to be here for me. <laughs> now, one of the things that I, I have had the the privilege of really knowing you guys and the ice cream social uh, folks and, and getting a window into the world of the, the Vegas economy is understanding how weird it is. Uh, I, I always tend to describe <laughs> it as a factory town. It, it's, it's a lot easier to understand Vegas as a small town factory town than it is to understand it as like uh, something that is that is more more complex. Everything comes out of this one industry, right? 
Yes. I actually heard you say that uh, previously on one of your podcasts. And I was like, wait a minute, he's right. Like, I've never thought of it that way. But then as you broke it down, uh, uh, you were correct. And of course, uh, n- nothing more evident than the whole town was excited that a WNBA team won a championship. <laughs> I mean, if that's not a factory town, I don't know what is, you know? It is It is amazing. That is that is something that, that I've always found very, very charming the more that I've been around Vegas and Vegas people is, is understanding that it's a lot more like Duluth than L.A., like there, there is, yes. there is a sense of civic pride. Everyone's very excited when local things happen. There is a, a real, real community that I think folks who only fly in to the, the strip, get ferried immediately to get blasted and, and waste money for, for a couple of days and then go right back out. You wouldn't necessarily get, you wouldn't, you wouldn't, you wouldn't think that you would actually think it's probably the cynical town that visitors think it is. Right. And I was going to say, it's like, and that's by design. We like to kind of hide uh, uh, <laughs> behind our marketing. We're, we're, we're on board with our marketing is really, that's the weirdest part about it. Well, that's, you know, the other thing that I found fascinating is that it is probably the most intellectually and economically homogenous town that I can think of in that everyone understands where the money comes from. Uh, everybody yes. is on board. It's like, we need to keep the strip safe. We need to keep it clean. We need to make sure that uh, uh, as many people that want to come in here uh, uh, are able to do it. And that means more jobs for everybody. There, There is this this weird connectivity between like government, police, the rich people, the poor people, like everybody seems to know we need to keep this engine turning. Yeah. And uh, right along with uh, on the backs of gamblers, right? Like, yes, we understand the dangers of gambling individually. And yet keep yep. tabs on the profit uh, this town makes from gambling as a yay go team. Uh, statistic. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, like, 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 yeah, that's fine. Like, look, if Doug has a problem, we should sit him down. But if your yeah, Doug yeah. has a problem, please send him here. <laughs> he can probably get here on credit card points alone. Get him. Get Doug, oh, my get, God. Get you know, it's so here. easy. And the rates are cheap now. I'll tell you what. Does he have a conference coming up? Uh <laughs> So let's 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 seriously sort of talk about but the the economy, because when I was having my conversation with Evan Scrimshaw on Wednesday show, one of the things that I was trying to kind of explain to him, and this is mostly from conversations I've had with you guys, is where Vegas is in terms of its recovery from the pandemic. Obviously, the lockdowns were catastrophic. If, if, if the machine turning is the reason why everybody is in Vegas, the machine stopping is is the absolute worst thing that can happen. Where is Vegas now compared to what it was in 2019? Well, you know, I, it's interesting because Vegas defines itself by changing anyway, right? Yeah. And so constant adjustments were made on wherever... America's temperature was with the pandemic uh, and depending on who was comfortable traveling, Vegas changes towards that. And then as well as the weirdest thing happening is probably the largest is uh, hospitality trends, right? So um, we are building multiple stadiums and we have multiple stadiums open for some reason, the word stadium is coming to the picture. And so, um, you know, and that's changing the the landscape and who's visiting here tremendously, you know, yeah. sports and concerts and major headliners are changing things up. And what's happening in terms of trends for visitation is that Vegas is still very much a weekend town. So if you're wondering if we're fully recovered, it's weird because the metrics are there, um, you know, like as of August, when the latest statistics came out, we've had 25 million visitors. The magic number is always 40 million for the year. If we get to okay. 40 million or above. Uh, and so we're on track to hit to 2018, 2019 levels of visitation, but they're not here on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Gotcha. Like that's like, so like that's a weird thing that is new. That's brand new that we're, that all you're seeing all of Vegas adjust to. Um, and so what does that mean? That means that, uh, we don't need people to work on Monday, Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Yeah. You know, uh, we don't, we don't need their workforce out. And so without people spending a week or weeks here, that's, that kind of, you know, that's the kind of thing that people can afford, uh, as Amer as, as Americans, you know, uh, and that means that's, that's going to affect staffing and, and labor, uh, in, in the Valley. 
And and you would think that having, you know, you guys have T-Mobile there now that's hockey during the the fall. You have WNBA, obviously now the, the championship uh, uh, town for WNBA during <laughs> during the summer. But but you would think, especially with those industries, it would be a, a little bit more of a of a fill in during the week. But but otherwise, I guess the first thing that comes back is. The, the the weekends, although I guess really the weekday stuff would also be the the, the, the conferences. How's how's the conference health? This, I mean, that's where Vegas is back, or like this is what's ex- exciting to uh, look at in terms of why you know you're seeing mixed economic markers across the board nationally here too, right? So we yeah. have conventions are coming back, and so this is the first you know this is the first year where we've had the Raiders playing with people in the stadium. And all the conventions coming back at the same time, you know? Uh, and so, like I said, then you see those, those numbers come back. Conventions are always tough because they, they are the, they, they are the backbone of the transition seasons, right? So the fall and the spring are basically, you know, when uh, Las Vegas really ramps up their conventions and businesses tend to have their conventions. And um, depending on what the convention is, you know, this convention never sees shows. This convention yeah. doesn't spend money. They don't get to spend, they don't spend money at restaurants and that kind of stuff. So you're always still navigating different economics, depending on what the conference mm. is. Um, and so while having those come back is a good thing for general hotel visitation, it's, we still have so many industries that are attached to the hospitality industry, like entertainment and restaurants and things like that. And that's where you, I mean, you're talking about the culinary union, that's what yeah. we're really talking about is that who who's going out to all these restaurants and how often um, and, and bringing those jobs back. And that's, that's the biggest thing that I've noticed in being back in Vegas and poking around seems to be consistent is that there's not as many restaurants open. There's still a lot of dark uh, uh, kiosks uh, where there used to be a, a little, uh, uh, you know, like grab and go sort of shop and nothing right. is open even on the strip as late as it was back in the day where everything seemed to be open forever. Like, like this was like the, when I was there last time for, I forget what it was, uh, but uh, I was staying on the strip. Oh, it was for DEFCON. And it was like, it was the first time that I can remember. It's like, Oh wow. There's things actually are like closing. Like I, I actually have to think about when I'm going to go get dinner, which was never, especially on the strip. I never thought about. No, no. I mean, even uh, the general 24 hour lifestyle of Vegas, you know, is not fully returned. You know, even even supermarket chains, you know, uh, up until the pandemic, most of them were 24 hours. Yeah. Um, And, you know, there's a thing, you know, supermarket chains are always like a finickier business. Their profit margins are lower. Uh, It's the amount of supermarkets they have, that kind of stuff. But nobody wants to fire anybody. Right. Yeah. And so you know, those, those shops and things like that were hesitant to bring on new staff or expand hours, even when everything was back to being hunky dory for the majority of us. It, you know, those, those, those places were still being conservative with both hours and hiring. And that's what you're seeing in a lot of Vegas casinos. You know, these union jobs, uh, they're, they're hard, hard fought for a reason. Yeah. Uh, and they are costlier to a business, you know, to bring back a union position and give them full-time hours is a, is an expensive thing to add to, to a business. And so and, yeah, opening up, opening up for 24 hours where you're definitely not going to make that money right now. That's a tough, it's a tough thing to, to figure out. And I would assume that there's still a little bit of touch and go. I think so far the news has been encouraging. Uh, I know when I went to DEF CON, the organizers did not know exactly what the the attendance was going to be. I know the vendors certainly did not know what the attendance was going to be. And it turned out to be really big. And that's great because yeah. that that means that there are more people coming in. But still, you don't know for sure. And I would I would assume that there's probably still a little bit of lingering flinching of of wondering like, OK, now it's been about a year since anyone's made any mention about a gigantic covid wave or, or anything like that. But but still, that right, has to linger right, in the right. back of your mind. No, and it always does. I mean, yeah, we, we are a place that relies on crowds gathering, you know, and uh, the inflation thing is real, you know, um, in terms of just what it costs to get here now, you know, uh, flights are more expensive. Hotel rooms are a little mm. more expensive. 
and then also, you know, drinks and things like that, you know, uh, even someone who's used to Vegas prices, I still all of a sudden find myself looking at, uh, the, a $19 domestic beer, for example, at a, at a show I mean, or something, yeah, right? There, like there were some, there were some <laughs> eye-popping, some eye-popping bills the last time I was there. It's like, like, like three, three, uh, uh, craft beers and, and I, and I'm only getting 20 back on a hundred. Table minimums being mostly around 20, $25 to if I feel like casually approaching a blackjack table, those things like that. Like it's, 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 we really wear our price increases right on the face of everything. Uh, yeah, uh, here, here in this town. And so, you know, those are things that, uh, that, that still are going to create ripples of unusual activity that are hard to plan, um, you know, employment hours and stuff around. Let's go back to the union stuff, because uh, uh, this is something that I don't think a lot of people really particularly understand is how much of a union town Vegas is. It is a a, a very proud union town. Uh, uh, when you say it's it's that those jobs are hard fought and and they are are something that people take very seriously. Can you explain to folks who have never lived or worked in Vegas exactly what that means? Oh, I mean, the QNR union in Vegas, I mean, it's even, it's, it's worth looking up. I won't have all of the, the stats available, but you know, uh, the, the amount of times they have done uh, painstaking protests and things like that to, to get what they want in this town and therefore have backed up their political, uh, uh, you know, people, you know, um, I mean, Bernie Sanders' famous run started to hit its first major, uh, major pitfalls uh, here. Yeah. Because because he he could he wouldn't bow down to the culinary union and then all of a sudden then Bernie's you know ascendance to being the presidential candidate started to fall apart here, um, you know. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I have friends who have been uh, laid off by the union on on you know waiting for their job to pop back up for still for over two years now. Yeah, you know, and there is like a sushi chef, you know, and that kind of stuff. It's like uh, they work hard here and then you get in, it's a job for life. You know, the carpenters union is you know. Uh, right now we're not building new homes and, uh, until lumber comes down, we're not, you know, that kind of stuff's going to happen. And those are the, the culinary union, especially in the carpenters union and, and all the unions are basically the voice of the democratic party here. Yeah. Still. Um, it feels very old fashioned to say it, but it very much is the case here. And so if they're not authentically getting the word out, then that's why you're seeing the polls being what they are you know, we're not a, a town facing, you know, our, our Republican party is not like the Arizona Republican party, you know? No, um, no. It's very much, you know, and it's very much a like local politics. Like our senators tend to go the way of the governor, you know, and the governor is very much, the governor's race is really what Nevada's really watched super closely. So, you know, all that's connected to union and union labor. I mean, you look at entertainment, you know, all of the entertainment, major entertainment venues on the strip, those are union people from the, from the, from the ushers to, oh, yeah. you know, to, to, to all the people running the lights and sound and tech and everything else like that, load ins and load outs and that kind of stuff. And it's very much about like union signups for, for when new shows come in and new shows go and old shows go out. That's those, that's big money making time for people in the union, you know? And so as long as there's, you know, that kind of volatility happening, things are good. But if things slow down, then jobs get scarce. And I would also say that for folks who who have heard about the vaunted Harry Reid machine, th these are the parts of the engine. Like the the the, the fact that 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 Harry Reid was so effectively able to whip and and uh, work in concert with those unions uh, uh, is the reason why he held the kind of sway that he did. And it's it wasn't that. Bernie Sanders, when in that race that you were talking about, didn't have the support of the rank and file union. He very much did. Yeah. He did not have support of the leadership and the leadership that works with that worked with Harry Reid at the time was like, no, we we already have somebody. But 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 thank you for applying. Yeah, I mean, they call the shots. And that's the thing. I mean, that's the union. I mean, the culinary union is sending people out canvassing, you know, like so a lot of the a yeah. lot of the, the the door knocking and things like that that do happen in the local neighborhoods are, are done by the culinary union. But if we are to say now that, number one, Harry Reid is no longer with us, and number two, that not everybody in that union has quite gotten back to where they, where, where, where they were before, before the lockdown, that this might be a slightly diminished version of, of, of the culinary union? 
Definitely. I mean, there's even, you know, there haven't been a ton of news articles about it, but one in particular was about uh, basically uh, them being shouted at, right? So they're going to canvas for Democrats yeah. and they're being shouted at uh, by the neighborhood. And th these are not volunteers from the campaign. So they're like, uh, why, why am I doing this? <laughs> you know, like, yes. I want to go to work. Why am I, why am I being abused by neighbors? You know, uh, that kind of thing. So yeah, it's, it's a tough part. And you know, Speaking quite frankly, if you told me in his heart, if Steve Sisolak, our governor, wasn't governor this next time around, you know, he's running against Joe Lombardo, who's a sh the sheriff. Those guys both worked actually in Congress with each other, famously during in the aftermath of the October 1st shooting. They were yep. supposedly friends before this election. If you told me in his heart, he's not governor n next year. How hurt is he? How disappointed is he? I don't know. I think he was very beaten up by the pandemic. <laughs> I think he's like, you know, I think we're seeing a lot of commercials. We're seeing a lot of stuff, but I'm not seeing a very, a, a very spirited campaign from him. So, you know, uh, all that stuff is, is to say that in, in Vegas and therefore Nevada is very much an out with the old in with the new town anyway, in every aspect. Yeah. So uh, unless, unless you are a really true diehard, like a Harry Reid type, I don't know, you know, how much, how much Nevada cares that much. Nevada's also had a, a problem within their democratic party of a lot of infighting. Uh, uh, there's been a lot of the, the back and forth between the, 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 the DSA types, the, the super progressive types and some of the, the holdouts from the, from the Harry Reid machine. So uh, but one of the big questions is, you know, beyond whether or not Harry Reid was just a, a a magic man who knew how to win elections by hook or by crook, uh, is the the absence of the 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 power the you know the the man in power now going to create a vacuum where just less things will get done or they will get done less effectively? Yeah, I mean that's uh, that's what that's where, what Harry Reid was excellent at. Harry Reid was very excellent at playing both the national stage and the local stage at the same time. And so what, even what you're breaking down is basically like the, 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 the kind of new wave Democrats here who see Nevada as a national figure yeah. and want to argue politics on a national level. Whereas Nevada, like it's, it, you know, look, both, both parties do a good job. What, whoever's our senators do a good job of bringing federal funded things to this state, you know? Yes. And, and, that money comes and, and those projects take place. Uh, it, you know, but it, it is the, uh, I, I have a really hard time as someone who keeps track of politics pretty well, who, uh, who tends to vote democratic. I have no idea what the local agenda is for the governors or the senators for Nevada. I know how they feel yeah. nationally about stuff. You know, the, the, the ads are about abortion rights and Nevada's that's not really a huge issue as it is in other States as it is here. Um, that kind of stuff. So, you know, the bottom line is that if people are pissed about the economy, they're going to vote the other way and that would go. And that's yeah. regardless of party. And so. where would you put the level of economic anxiety in, in, in Vegas right now? And, and, and before you answer, let me just also point out before people are like, well, Vegas is only one town. No, it's the state. Like Clark County is, 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 is the state. There's a little bit of Reno, a little bit of Reno here. Obviously there's some rural areas, but it, the vast majority of the population is in one County. So it does matter, man. And I just drove through this uh, state. Uh, I ended up doing a show in South Lake Tahoe and drove through seven and a half hours through Nevada more than ever. It's just, <laughs> I mean, these yeah. towns are, these small towns are getting smaller and, and some of them are becoming literal ghost towns. It's, it's crazy to see. Um, and so, yeah, we'll be, uh, uh, it's, it's very much a Las Vegas town for economics. So, so where, where, where is the economic anxiety in, in, in Vegas? Let, let, let's go from one to 10, uh, uh exactly, uh, how anxious is, is the town? And, and I'm going to assume that 10 would be around the lockdown. Uh, I put a 10, 10, if 10 is locked down, I'd put it around six, six, seven. Because of inflation and the, and the the recession word hanging over their heads, right? Because yeah. it's just about because Vegas needs America to feel comfortable. Yes, right. Like otherwise, you don't gamble and you don't spend the money to come here. You know, and so uh, you know we are very much 
uh, an adapting town. So we were, we're buttressed by major sports and, and major arena concerts and things like that right now. Um, but, uh, you know, gas prices do affect, do affect everybody and they affect people here. They affect airline prices as well, all that stuff. And so, uh, I'd say it's, it's just, uh, anger over inflation is fueling a lot of, uh, the political discourse and a lot of the political ads. And I'd say like, that is basically the, the one giant issue hanging over Nevada is the, is the inflation and, and possible recession. Cause it also changes. And I can't remember whether or not we had this conversation on the podcast or just personally, but it also changes the clientele that comes to Vegas. If I remember correctly, like during the lockdown, yes. Yeah, gambling came back. Gambling's been on 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 a downslide in Vegas gambling revenue. And then all of a sudden it's like, hey, guess what? The people who are rolling the dice on coming to Vegas also want to roll literal dice. Yes, exactly. That's actually yeah, we did discuss this actually last uh, one of the times I was on. But that's absolutely true. Um, and that mix is still there. You know, gaming revenue is still way up from where it was for, uh, from decades ago. Um, and so it's not, that's not a, that's not a, uh, a COVID thing. That's a, that's just a weird human behavior thing that's returned. Um, you know, uh, and then, you know, as Vegas changes, I always laugh at like, you know, um, you know, DJs and nightclubs and yeah. day clubs and all that stuff still popular, but not what it once was. And I was always curious generationally, like once it's stupid to spend 10 grand to get a bottle of alcohol and sit on a couch, um, boy, is it stupid. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Yeah, that gets real stupid real fast. Yeah. And then, you know, your, your ticket prices for shows go up. And so, uh, who's the clientele that wants to spend $200 to go to a show? No problem. You know, uh, I went, I, Bill Burr came to town. I went looking for his tickets and I was really blown away at the prices it was to go see him. Uh, yeah. which was something I was going to do to something I, I couldn't do. Um, you know, we have the high, you know, uh, expensive meals that kind of stuff like all of our high-end restaurants the moment you don't want to eat at those places you don't you know the moment you don't want to spend the money for that it's it's over and so um the comfort of treating yourself to a high-end experience is the backbone of what makes the town go so if that gets super cautious or super super you know whatever awkward then we're we're, we're in a tough spot well, especially considering where, where the town went over the last you know 30 years, really, with the celebrity chefs and and all the the high end food things, even the like the variant of it that came after it with like the hipster version of the high end food thing where you're still spending a thousand dollars. So it's not the four thousand or five thousand dollars you might have spent back in, in, in the yachts, but now it's two thousand dollars. So you can have a really cool ramen or something like that. Like like there's there's uh, uh, That's all that it. there. Yeah. And if that goes away, then it's interesting, especially for some of yeah. those culinary jobs. For And that's, and that's exactly what we're talking about, for sure, is, is that. And that's actually what you're seeing, you know. You know, we're seeing like, you know, the, the basically the two largest properties that that have reopened or, or, or opened since the pandemic. You have Resorts World and you have the Virgin Hotel, which took over the Hard Rock. And both of those have kind of come and happened with very little fanfare, very little national media. Um, you know, uh, people don't know what experience they're having by going there. Uh, the kind of the, the, the experience of those new resorts are very undefined. Um, and so as much as like those big themed casinos have gotten gone out of style, we seem to have not answered the next part. And so you're seeing those hotels advertise their restaurants almost solely more than their shows. I mean, Katy Perry is headlining resorts yeah. world and you see more ads for, uh, restaurants than anything else that's happening over there. And that would have been insane 10 years ago, right? For, for a star with yeah. the caliber of, of Katy Perry to do like a for real, for real residency and, and it not be That's the thing. It's a for real level. residency. She's put, yeah, she's, she's made, she put a lot of money into it. It's a lot, it's a real show. And, uh, it's not just a, it's not just a, a glorified, you know, um, unplugged concert. Uh, it's a real, it's a real big, big show and, and people love it. And, and, but it's not getting the media. I mean, if you think about it, when I, when I say Britney Spears, or, um, uh, oh my gosh, who am I playing? Oh, you know, when I say Britney Spears, when I say Celine Dion, you know, like, yeah, you're, you used to, you remember those stories, you know, remember that coming out and 
Katy Perry opening up Resorts World should have been on that caliber of a of a move, and it just didn't move the needle like it used to. So those things are those things are strange trends, um, regardless of COVID. You know, to to take a look at from a a, a Nevadan perspective. I mean, at least Adele's residency got a lot of headlines, maybe for the wrong reasons. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that didn't. Literally the opposite of putting butts in seats and getting people to Vegas, but yeah, <laughs> did make a lot of headlines. <laughs> I think Talk the only someone... butt in seat that that that, that show uh, created was Adele's, so she could go back to L.A. to fight with Maverick Carter. <laughs> yeah, that uh, that that's not that's not that's not uh, turning things around here anytime soon. Uh. uh... All right. So if if you were to when I, I texted you a couple uh, weeks ago and I, I asked you then where on the list of things that that the average Las Vegas resident cares about is the Senate race specifically. And I believe you put the NFL uh, season, the Aces <laughs> championship, yeah. uh, the the yeah. level of water in Lake Mead. Uh, the fact that there was a reporter a uh, who investigated corruption, dead, uh, shot dead. Uh, uh, and then maybe, maybe the Senate somewhere in, in, in the six, seven range. I don't know if I'd readjust it. Right. Cause even so that uh, Jeff Gorman, who was murdered by a political figure who was writing bad stories about him. Everyone thought that it was going to be, you know, when he first was murdered, he reported on so many bad people that uh, they thought it was, you know, a mafia hit or something like that. Mm-hmm. It turned out to be a, uh, an angry, um, an angry guy who lost his his election because of his reports on his office place environment. Um, you know, uh, back he was famous. He famously uh, refused to reveal his sources uh, back when uh, he was uh, writing articles about the mafia. And now that kind that court case is coming up again because now that he's died, people are trying to search his sources and his background now. Oh wow! And that's in court right now so that's a very compelling legal case that everyone's watching here because they're like will this is a big precedent setting thing of if a reporter dies can you then do his sources and his material Get his become, sources yeah and that's still stupid dangerous for people uh you know who have reported on the mafia and so yeah uh uh we're, we're seeing that play out in court so that's still a compelling thing and uh you know i think the like I said, I, I, I mean, you can't watch television here without every single ad being a political ad, and it's about our our senators, um, and, and yeah. possible new senators, um, and all of that is very much, uh, you're seeing all of the issues are still national politic issues. It's all just about whatever whatever they're talking about on the cable news is what are the topics that are being drummed on these. Uh, on these ads. And so you're not seeing anything super concrete or super local being drummed out about candidates on either side, really. And it's not penetrating and I'm following all the local news too. And there's no local events or anything that's really getting any kind of real substantive debate for Nevadans on the table. And so you're just going to see it go the way national politics go. And you're going to see if it's, if it's up in the air, Nevada's always out with the old and with the new. So we'll, we'll see what happens. Uh, so it sounds like you are, you are not bullish on, on the, on, on, on the Cortez Masto campaign. No. And I'm a fan. Like I am a voter. Uh, I think she does a great job for Nevadans. I think she is a, I think she's a good campaigner as well. Yep. Um, but, uh, you know, I, uh, like, like we said, the, if, if the boots on the ground aren't there, yeah. Uh, like they, like they normally are. Uh, uh, you have a governor running a weaker campaign and mm-hmm. that really affects, that affects the ticket more than anything else. Um, and so no, I, I'm, I'm not bullish at all on it. Um, I'm, I'm bracing for impact. One last question and then I'll get you out of here. The big national thread from the Republicans at this point is crime. I have not seen that uh, particularly from the the Laxalt campaign, but from the Lombardo campaign, who I believe is is in in the Clark County Sheriff's office, right? That's the strangest thing. He was the sheriff. Yeah, yeah. 
So it's like I would imagine possibly from from him, although I don't know whether or not the crime situation is the same in in Vegas or, or the surrounding areas like it is in, in you know, Philadelphia, Pittsburgh and, and some of the other places that are going to decide the Senate. Yeah. No, I mean, crime is a big concern uh, for sure. But it, but because, again, because, uh, again, these two used to work very closely together. And so the, yeah. the sheriff of, of, of uh, Clark, you know, Clark County Sheriff and governor and so it's 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 i i have i'm baffled as a as a voter uh it's you know what is it was it when they both everyone's wearing the spider-man outfit and they're pointing at each other yeah like that's basically <laughs> crime's bad now because of all of us <laughs> it's like it's a it's a it's all on your watch it's on everyone's watch that's running so i don't yeah i don't know so the, the, there's there's particulars where they're trying to catch each other on it, but I don't I don't see that grabbing hold in that way. One last Vegas quirk because uh, uh, it was I think it was hanging out with 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 you and Jacob last time. The speeding, I mean, it famously became a horrifying tragedy uh, with with the, the 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 Raiders wide receiver who who killed people. But like there there is apparently no, now it, since the lockdown, the speeding in Vegas is insane. Uh, it is, uh, I can say it both anecdotally and that there was a study in road rage, uh, whatever. And, and Las Vegas ranked highest in road rage in the nation. Um, and I can say anecdotally as a local driver that I do feel it, that I do see it, that I'm seeing the craziest driving I've ever seen around me all the time. I am passing crazy car accidents being cleaned up all the time. Uh, it is a really strange thing. Uh, I don't Which is know. Nuts because it, it's, not, it's not like anything things. materially changed. Like like everything's still 35 minutes away from, from every, everything else. Uh, you still have to take these wide boxy kind of uh, roads to get there. It's not like the, like the, the, the traffic got any materially worse and all the locals know what to avoid. And yet everyone's just driving so much faster. Everyone's driving so much faster. There is a weird thing that happens every fall here. Um, it is too hot to do construction here in the summer. Yeah. Uh, and we do take, like I said earlier, we do take all the federal funding to do all the roads. Um, we, yep. we, we redo the lanes of interstate 15, uh, annually you know, <laughs> with different <laughs> rules and different connections. Um, uh, <clears throat> but, uh, 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 and so all the construction starts in the fall. So all of a sudden there's just wherever you go, there's construction and traffic cones and stuff. Um, but that's always happened and it's always been frustrating, but I've never seen it where people are like, never mind, I'm gonna get there on time anyway. <laughs> so, like, uh that's just happening a lot more. And yeah, I'm just I'm I'm encountering more anger from other drivers and, and other things like that than uh I have since I lived here. It is bizarre. It is a bizarre trend. For sure. And if, and if anyone was running on that, if anyone knew how to solve that and ran on that, I bet they'd get a lot of traction because, uh, you know, it is what all my friends and I are talking about, that it is crazier than ever to drive in this town. Well, Matt, uh, thank you so much for sharing your your perspective. Obviously, a, a, a veteran of the Las Vegas entertainment industry, podcaster, performer. Where can people find you? Uh, get on over to Matt and Manley's Ice Cream Social, where uh, uh, we we spend uh, an hour and a half joking around and doing trivia and uh, having on local guests from the Vegas uh, entertainment community. Uh, it is a real way to blow off some steam and have a nice uh, have a nice laugh while you're driving or walking your dog or doing your dishes. You know, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. enjoy the show, Vegas. It just enjoy laugh to Matt and Manley's Ice Cream Social instead yeah, of going after- ninety nine miles an hour. Exactly. Chill out, chill out. And for your listeners, as soon as you're done, you know, doing your fourth draft in your head to Justin about what he got wrong on his podcast, then turn over to Ice Cream Social, put it on and and, and chill out. Uh, And I'm very much looking forward to uh, being on the show when I'm out there because this is the race that's going to end the midterms for us. We're going to be out there in Clark County trying to chase down Masto, uh, Cortez Masto and and Laxalt to see uh, with our own eyes exactly what's going on. Yeah, whenever you're on, that's the only time we have politics on our show on purpose. Uh, and I'll take it. I'll take it uh, versus my 
my comedy partner, Paul, just doom scrolling Twitter and telling me what he's learning from Twitter. So, um, he needs well, the, the same problem that the Vegas drivers have with the acceleration pedal. Uh, uh, Paul needs to knock it off with Twitter. Like, like it, it, yeah. at a certain point, it just needs to stop. It needs to be capped. <laughs> Thanks so much, Justin. Thanks, buddy. And that will wrap it up for us today, live and direct from Savannah, Georgia. Politics, politics, politics is written and hosted by me, Justin Robert Young, for Dog and Pony Show Audio. You can say thank you to our guest, Matthew Donnelly, at px3guest.com. If you'd like to write an email into the show, it is theyoungamerican at gmail.com. On Twitter, it is at px3tweets. You can find me live on the internet, px3live.com. If you would like to support this show with a one-time donation, and I guarantee you that if you earmark anything that comes in on this for tipping local bartenders, I will make sure that a big fat tip gets left for the local Savannah, Georgia bar and drink staff. You can do so. PayPal.me slash PayJury, Justin-Young-20 on Venmo. Cash app is PX3 Cash, and you can send anything, including hats, in the mail. P.O. Box 1531-84, Austin, Texas, 78715. Again, P.O. Box 1531-84, Austin, Texas, 78715. Got to also shout out... Uh, uh, just some amazing hats that came in. My favorite pair of hats that came in. Uh, one was a, a, a replica hat of the the famous Craig. Craig, who was at the end of our our uh, donors club sounder at the beginning of every show. Craig! He served on a submarine. And so not only did he go out and get me a replica hat, that everybody wears on that submarine, but it also has the pin on it. I was I was honored and touched, and he wrote a very very sweet note. And uh, uh, you know, it, it's stuff like that that makes this job different than any job that I've ever had. And the fact that we can make these connections, and you guys can share a little bit of your lives with me, is something that does truly mean the world to me. And then I got another hat that said "I pee in pools." So there we go. <laughs> a touching memento from somebody's life of service to this country with a, uh, a an engineering feat, the likes of which most of human civilization would gawp at and not believe was real. And a hat that says in a comic serif font, IP in pools. It's my life, ladies and gentlemen. Within us, there are two wolves. Of course... If you would like to hear my immediate reaction to this debate, this Warnock-Walker debate, then you need to get on the Patreon. You need to go to TakePoliticsSeriously.com. You need to sign up at the $3 level. And there's only three weeks left. So, you know, really we're talking about a $9 commitment for you to get that level of content from now until Election Day I think it's going to be worth it. It's going to at least include uh, two trips, the, this trip here and then our trip to uh, Nevada for what I think will be the tipping point state of the Senate. And then, of course, if you want to get a, a shout-out at the end of the show, you can be in the Titanic $10 tier, including these fine folks who deserve a, a, a better sound quality than just me out here on the street corner. And those legends are Andres, Matt, Unsafe DB Levels, MC Radio, Katie, Amanda, Ye Old Pinball Shop, DP4 Bongo, Catherine, Todd, persons familiar with the matter, and Vote Gloria Young for King of the New World Order, Edison, Up, Up, Down, Down, Left, Right, Left, Right, BA, Select Start, Dr. G, Neil, Darren, Charles, 100 Mile Runner, Idris Arslandian, Blue Front, and the Lenina, Steven. Chad, Nomadic, Terran, Diana, Turn 2, Miranda, Janelle, Adam, Chief Andy, Robert, Casey, Paul is awesome. Brad, Richard, D. Laser, Just Another Pilot, Middle-Aged Mike, Who Loves, Frank Got Abducted, 
Utah, Jimmy Montana, the Gen A L D L D L D. Really? Chopper, Andrew, and Joshua. If you would like your name read with theirs, well, there's only one place you can go takepoliticsseriously.com. And that'll wrap it up for us today. I'm literally, I'm out here peddling my wares. I'm out here showing some podcast leg on the literal corner of the street, the corner of Bay Street and Martin Luther King Boulevard in Savannah, Georgia. Oh, Lord. It all goes down tonight here in the Peach State. I will see patrons later this evening. Until then, this is your old pal, Justin Robert Young, saying some shows talk about politics, others talk about politics and still more discuss politics, but this... This is the only show that dares discuss our Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. (laughs) Dog and Pony Show Audio.